Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When two Division I athletes discuss the challenges and successes of navigating life after competing, you get conversations designed by athletes for athletes. I'm Don Sutton. And I'm Brooke Beerhouse, sharing with the athletic community stories and insights to better understand life when your sport ends. Hello, knowledge seekers, athletes, and curious humans. I'm Brooke Beerhouse, alongside my insightful co-host, Don Sutton, on this week's episode of When Your Sport Ends. Here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? For the first two episodes of this podcast, we decided to interview each other as a way for you to better understand who we are and why this topic is important to us. Today, I'll be interviewing my charismatic co-host, Brooke Beerhouse. Brooke is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and visual storyteller. Her recent feature documentary, The Connected Cup, brought her around the world as she followed the heart of coffee and tea as a global language of connection. Today, Brooke is focused on sharing local stories with a global perspective. Hello, Miss Brooke. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? I'm anxious to be the interviewee today. Anxious to be the interviewee. Yeah, because I'm usually the one interviewing, so this will be different for me. I like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's let's get this started then. Yeah. So, give us a little bit of background, what your sport is, where'd you come from, how'd you get to it, and we can go from there. Yeah, I ran cross country and track at the University of Iowa for two and a half years. I um, ended up quitting my junior year. So that junior year is my transition time. But before that, I started running when I was five, ran my first 5K when I was five. And I've just been an athlete for the you know entirety of my life. And I think the transition was the hardest part. So I'm excited to talk about it. I think there needs to be more of a dialogue around it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So first 5K when you were five to college to yep. coffee around the world. Mm-hmm. How does one get through all that? With a lot of coffee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, no, I mean, I had my first cup of coffee when I was 15. Mm-hmm. So before that, it was just a lot of energy. You think that helped you on those long distance runs? I do. I actually started running. My mom had me start running in order to get rid of all the excess energy that I had so I could focus at school and actually be able to do things without just, you know, having all of that energy. And that started my love of running because I was able to calm down and find clarity whenever I run. Yeah. Yeah, from a really early age. So I think then I you liked still it. run right now? Yes. Get that clarity? Mm-hmm. I run pretty much every day, honestly. Um, maybe not every day. I've been changing it up a little bit. I go through phases in some way, shape, or form. I like to work out for mental clarity and the physical endorphins, you know? I find that such an interesting aspect because I feel like uh, knowing some athletes after the fact, like people kind of fall out of the sport. They don't mm-hmm. necessarily want to get back into their sport. So they start looking for other things, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if you've experienced it from your side or with other former athletes, but I have, it sounds yeah. like, it sounds like you just kept running. Is that the I, case? Yeah, I did. Well, I went through a little bit of a period where I didn't want to run, but it mm-hmm. was because I pushed myself so much after when the sp- when I ended my junior year, I felt like I had developed such a base and I was in such great shape. I wanted to race, but not race in a collegiate race. Like I, I wanted to race without a time pretty much. So my only option was uh, ultra marathon running. And I liked that aspect because trail running and ultras, I feel like bring out a different type of crowd, more of a people who just are a little bit wild and want to just run, you know, for sort of a primal sake of running. And that's what I wanted to do. So I trained for a 50K um, right (laughs) the day I quit. I kept on running and trained for 50K, which is longer than a marathon. So I didn't have to worry about if I were to compete in a marathon or just to run it. I felt like people would ask what my time was and compare it and it would just be another race. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to do, to do something different. So you really couldn't have had any kind of break from running in order for you to keep going. So that passion was always still there then, huh? Yeah, it's always been there. I think I just fell out of love with the competing aspect. And I've told you that before, how honestly, my breakup with running, racing really was the hardest heartbreak that I've been through. That was the hardest relationship to to give up. You know, I just, it wasn't healthy for me anymore to be doing. And I stuck it out as long as I I could. Um, And then I just, didn't enjoy the competing aspect anymore. And I saw my teammates still enjoying that and getting excited about races. And I was just, my stomach hurt. I just couldn't even comprehend wanting to go do that anymore. And I think once the joy got sucked out of racing, I 
I just knew it was over. And, but I didn't call it quits until like no, a year I, later. I had, you know? I had that same kind of aspect. It's weird. Yeah. You, know? you just still do almost to a sense college yards or yeah, right? distances. And you're like, you just have that void that you fill, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's just, it's a part of your schedule. It's blocked yeah, off. It's blocked off. And it's you important. might as well do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kept with it. I mean, there's something uh, to be said about ha- like having a schedule and a routine. And, mm. I mean, what what got you over that though? Like, do you, do you think you had? Well, no. Or... Ha- what did what did you think brought closure as far as the racing aspect? I feel like uh, it, it's tough to discuss this kind of matter, but I feel like that you ha- once you have the closure needed. You know, you get to, you, you feel more open to discussing. I know. And that's kind of why. And I like that. I like this question. I'm kind of just now realizing that if I'm not open to racing a, like a, a race, Mm -hmm. I almost wonder if I have found closure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I mean, really, I, I feel like it doesn't bother. It's not something that nags on me every day because when I, initially quit I definitely had that feeling nagging on me every single day like why can't you just stick it out maybe you'll want to compete again like maybe it'll come back or like you know that that feeling and that passion and just sort of felt like a failure for giving up you know and that was really I have found closure in that because I don't see it as a failure I don't see it as giving up on the sport I see it as being strong enough to have changed the narrative on like, and to listen to myself and change what needed to be changed in my life in order to now succeed in what I would like to think is my purpose in life is, is being able to be a visual storyteller and documentary filmmaker and the people that I've met and the work that I've done, I feel like is leading me up in the route that I needed to go. Going into that, how... How is journalism as far as just everything? When did you figure it out that you wanted to be a journalist? Like, how did that impact with your running? Or did your running have an impact on that, should I say? Fall semester of senior year of college, I went to DC and worked at the Smithsonian Zoo as their video intern. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just wanted to start working straight away. That was my way of coping with like, if I wasn't gonna be running and racing, I didn't feel like I needed to be on campus or in college. I just wanted to be out in the real world. So that was how that transition came in. A zoo internship. Did you get to run around the zoo? I did, pretty <laughs> much. I was, yeah, I, every day, I had the yeah. best internship, honestly. Yeah. yeah, that experience was so formative for me. I no. wouldn't change that for anything, which was probably another reason why all these little things that happened after. I quit the sport. It made, I felt like it made it a little bit easier for me. I still hadn't found my identity in that sense of, you know, I'd put so much time to being an athlete and now I was meeting all these new people in DC, right? And Mm -hmm. so they didn't know me as a runner. And so I, it was just interesting that how they, their concept of me, they're like, oh, I didn't know you ran. 
And then I would always have this sort of complex where it's like, yeah, I was a D1 runner. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, wanted to yeah. let them know, like, yes, I yeah. am an athlete. Yeah. But I also at the same time didn't want to put so much of my self-worth into that anymore. And so I was like, yeah. <laughs> Just Anyways, casually. Yeah, casually. Yeah, like mm -hmm. little things like that. Yeah, DC must be a cool place to run, though. Yeah. I, oh, man. Man. Lots of sightseeing. Mm-hmm. You get to know places so much better through running. Yeah, I, I mean, bet. Yeah. Did that, did that help you with uh, everywhere you had been? Because you've been to, what, 27 countries? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I imagine just getting up and going running every morning. You learn a place probably, so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. I, I've gotten like lost swimming. in a lot of places. You have to go places. find like a lake or... Yeah. Like if you're in a the, pool somewhere, yeah. If you're <laughs> in, I, if in Egypt, you have to worry about you know the Nile crocodiles. I yeah. don't think so. Nah. Yeah, no, <laughs> I just the swimming center. I just need a dirt road. Yeah, that's and just go on. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I did have one interesting run in Tanzania. I was in Mwanza, and I wasn't. I was in an area where um, the guy I was staying with didn't. I was working on a documentary and he didn't want me running alone. So they had to, I had to go with this soccer team and it was this high school boys soccer team. And I was like right smack dab in the middle of them. And it was so funny because they were sprinting. I think they just wanted to show me how fast they were. And I was like, okay, then I'm going to show you how fast I am. So you just kept <laughs> so, pushing each other. Yeah, yeah. I think that was, a, I just remember that just being so funny. Just revert back to practice. <laughs> yeah, I was right in the middle of yeah. them. And like, that was my security this team. This was out in, what, Tanzania, you said? Mm -hmm. now, yeah. Where is that? What were you doing out there? I was working in the Serengeti at the time for a wildlife documentary on the illegal transportation of bushmeat and ivory in the Western corridor of the Serengeti. So try. <laughs> wow. I was, right. yeah, I, it was very specific, but it was a tough topic. And I think I, looking back, I wish I had a little more experience before I tackled that, but yeah. how, I'm getting... how did you wind up in Tanzania? I guess that yeah. would be the, you go, you go from well, DC to, I, uh, wait, DC to New York had six months in New York and yeah. or five or around five months in New York before I took a job in Iceland as a photography instructor. Okay. And that was what spurred really my initial concept with the Connected Cup. All right. It was Iceland and then from Iceland went to Costa Rica because I still thought I wanted to work within wildlife conservation and I had all of that experience from the Smithsonian and went to work with the research team in Corcovado National Park and the Osa Peninsula. And then um, after Costa Rica, I thought I was just gonna do a small video, short film. Really, honestly, I, I'm proud of myself for thinking at least that I was gonna start with a short first. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen. I ended up going straight into the feature length documentary, but thinking about it, I did have enough self-awareness that I, I did think about, you know, I probably should start with a, a short film before I do a feature length film. Didn't work out that way because yeah. the short film ended up being the spark that I needed to continue the Connected Cup. And the Café de Monteverde in Monteverde, Costa Rica is this amazing coffee farm that's a part of the film and really brings um, the environmental aspect into the Connected Cup. And so that was the first community that I filmed with and they were imperative to the whole narrative. So, mm -hmm. so when I took a 
job in India as a producer. I It was for a documentary that never aired, but when I was there, I said, I have a documentary too. And I was explaining it and saying, can I film and maybe be able, like, can you help me with filming and interviewing while I'm there? Can we sort of work together with this production company? And they okayed it. And when I was there, I was still focused on the coffee aspect. And in Northern India, it is chai dominant. I mean, the whole country is, is chai is the most popular drink, of course, but I kept on asking, so what do you think about coffee? And everyone's like, I don't drink coffee. Like, oh my gosh, I can't include this into my film because it's all about coffee. And then that's where it changed and included tea and brought the documentary a different side and I think made it more complex and more whole by including tea into it. As far as this feature film made, you you made it in what, three years? Yeah. Three the, and a half? Yeah, it was... From start to finish start yourself. To finish. Yeah. Like well, editing I mean, and... Yes, but I did have... I, so I did 90% uh, of the film actual videography. Uh, I did about 90% of the shooting. I had 10, 10%. I definitely had to bring on a few others other cameramen and women when I was in Morocco, mm -hmm. Ethiopia, and India a little bit too. Yeah, in India. But it, you completed it and... Yeah. Within three and a half? Yeah, the... Oh my God. So, so what's the... production took nine months. So truly like a child. Yeah. It is my baby. That is your baby. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that, it, it's fascinating because that statistic or... Just fun knowledge. It takes six point four percent of people who start the uh, feature film actually finish it, yeah, and then actually get it distributed, 6. which happened. Four, which low, low statistic. I yeah. No. How how did you how did you manage to finish that so quickly? You think you're just in the zone? Athletics. Yeah. I think it honestly goes back to that. That's state of mind i mean really being able to buckle down and do it um, do you think do you think there was a competitive aspect of it like you just had to finish this thing or you think it was a good blend of passion with that kind of need to finish it out i think it was definitely more of a blend um i my whole heart was behind the film and so i think being so involved in it i wanted to see it through and especially with all the communities that took the time to open up and talk to me as a, being a part of the film i felt like i had more of a push to finish it because there were other people waiting for it and relying on seeing it i wanted to finish it because i just take that responsibility of telling people's stories really seriously and i wanted it to have a place in the world and yeah I wanted to finish it I felt selfish like holding all that footage for myself I've, I find that interesting that you say um, selfish to hold on to all of that now all of that footage mm -hmm. it sounds like you had met a lot of people through these communities and yeah. in a sense it was kind of like a team aspect every community that you touched for me I've always been interested in people and so I think I just have a genuine interest in people and what they 
you know, what their lives are like and just how we're all similar. And I think I, um, conversing in local language, I feel like I What's the most much... interesting language you learned? Mm. Amharic, probably. What is that? In Ethiopia, it's... Amharic. Mm-hmm. Can you speak it? I can order a coffee. Ibakashin buna ferlegalo. I can. <laughs> I mean, that sounds yes, like that can, sounds like uh, what you would know. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> Based you know, on this I film, like, that's yeah. something that's sometimes overlooked too. Being mm-hmm. on a team, as far as like, especially in collegiate athletes, because you train so much together, you yeah. work out so much together, like you you know your teammates and mm-hmm. you just learn to be who you are and be comfortable with who you are. Yeah. It sounds like that kind of helped you dive right into these communities in a sense. Yeah. I never really thought about it. Honestly, this is the first time that I've correlated that or made that connection between teammates and then also getting involved in the communities. And I think you're right. I can see that. I never thought about it. So what do you do now then? Like, where, where's that team coming from? Like, where, where do you find yourself moving towards? Because you are a freelancer, I right? I am freelance, which is which... kind of in a sense a free running, you it know, is. solo race. Individualistic <laughs> sport. I mean, yeah. that's running definitely prepared me for filmmaking in the sense that you have to be ready for anything in a race with being a runner, you just get, and a swimmer too. I mean, you know, you've got to pace yourself in certain areas or, um, you have to be ready for running your own race, but also being able to change when you need to and adapt to other people's races as well. So granted, I don't feel like I'm competing against other filmmakers because I truly, I I just don't feel competition in my work. Mm -hmm. Um, It really is all about adapting and the documentaries that I work on currently, they're really important to me, but they're also living, breathing organisms that I need to be able to adapt with. And when this narrative changes, when the storyline changes, I have to be okay with that and not try to change a story when it's not actually what's happening. So I think being able to do that so quickly and that mental switch that happens in my brain is completely due to being an athlete for decades <laughs> yeah i can only imagine running i mean, <laughs> so? run, mean? running running long distances there must be so many different styles of race yeah so. absolutely you go it a mile is so different racing a mile compared to racing a 10k you know mm-hmm. or some it's a totally different ball game and that's the same with every story that I take on. I mean, today I was working on a puppy grams video, which to me doesn't take as long of a, of a race. So maybe that's like an 800 meters where I pretty much, I know what I'm going to do, go in, do it. Things don't change as much as, you know, it would in a 10 K and the 10 K one that I'm working on right now, I'm still trying to get grants for and um, you know, indigenous cultures within regenerative agriculture is a storyline that's going to change. And that would be more of a 10K race for me. I think that project, because I have to be okay with when it changes, I need to adapt. 
You think he'll get back into any kind of races? I mean, I don't. Everybody I just, runs marathons. I know. After, after the fact, I take so much pleasure in my runs right now, where I just don't see myself racing in the near future. Um, that's not to say that in you know two years I won't want to race or do something else, but I feel like I I would want to try. I'd do a triathlon or something else that wasn't solely focused on running, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I Are just there any can't... other sports then <laughs> that you've been diving into, playing with? Well, when I was in Florida, I did do beach volleyball, and I would have really liked to stay in that sport, and there's so much to learn from it, and I felt like I was using so many different muscles and, and mental game in that sport, too. I played volleyball when I was younger, but I didn't, you know, go into it because I focused on, on racing and running in high school. And so I would have really, yeah, I think I would have liked beach volleyball, but anyways. That was it, huh? That, yeah. There's that, not much beach volleyball I mean, in Northwest Arkansas. No, I would, I would, <laughs> I would be on, I don't know. I just don't, I don't get into like intramural, intramural sports. Like, I don't think I'd join a, a soccer team just to join it because I feel like I would get way too competitive and everyone would be yeah. like, it's just for fun. We're getting beers after. And I'd be yeah. like, I'm going to crush your soul. <laughs> wow. That's heavy. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You, you would be that person tackling somebody <laughs> in flag football, huh? <laughs> yeah, I sometimes I don't realize that I actually am more intense than I think I am. I'm always like, yeah. I'm just here for fun. And then I'm like, wait a second. No, I'm not. Yeah, no, I think that that's, I mean, everybody has a little bit of that, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, definitely. More intense it, when, than when I than... When I get into something and I kind of start liking something, I can get pretty angry. Yeah. <laughs> Real quick or just blindsided by the fact of just screwing up something. And it's always a constant work. Yeah. I, oh, I think. how could I forget? Hmm. I really enjoy rock climbing. Oh, yeah. And also swimming. Like, that's been more with you. I've started swimming again and actually learned how to do a flip turn. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed that. It is a huge breakthrough for me. And, uh, yeah. And also rock climbing. Got rock a harness now. Gonna get ropes. Yeah. I really like it. That's a that's a fun sport. That's it's a different really, sport. Yeah, but I, it falls I'm under. Curious it's to gonna see. be an Olympic. I know. I'm curious to see how that one plays out in the Olympics. Yeah. It's, I think whitewater kayaking is an Olympic event now. Is it? Yeah. I could get into that. I could also yeah. get into the biathlon. I feel like I would like cross-country skiing and archery. Granted. I'm like, archery? I yeah. thought they shoot a gun, mm-hmm. don't they? Oh, shit. Okay, then I would not like that. I, I'm a good shot, but I don't think I would like that at all. Why? <laughs> What's the difference between an arrow and a gun? An arrow feels more <laughs> badass. Okay, Katniss. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Okay. Fun fact. A little while ago was a bir- your birthday, about a month. It was and December 28th. You had Almost to exactly. run 27 miles. <laughs> I didn't have to. I uh, you, chose you it. Sound, you sounded like you had to. Can you explain that? <laughs> Had to. You know what? Running my... So every year since I was 14, mm-hmm. I've ran 
the amount of miles that I'm turning that year. So it started because when I was 14, I had a 14 miler that I needed to finish in order to get my weekly mileage. Mm -hmm. And my mom decided she, that we were going to do something fun. And to her running 14 miles is fun. And to me running 14 miles is fun. But, um, she definitely instilled that in me that running can be fun. And I, I'm Your so, mom just casually ran 14 miles with a 14-year-old. Yeah, I'm, well, she was my coach for the longest time, and she also is this amazing marathoner. Um, she qualified for Boston, I don't know, a dozen times. She's, yeah, she's incredible. She's done a lot in terms of the running career. So you had no choice to be, but to be a runner. I guess. I wanted to be just <laughs> like her. So know? then do you and your mom still run? We do still run together every once in a while. And on my birthday, she ran with me. I'm lucky because my birthday falls three days after Christmas. So my family's all together anyways. And my sister and brothers, I mean, they always run a some amount with me on my birthday. So I honestly look at it as, I mean, that's one of the hardest physical challenges I'm gonna have all year. And if I complete it on the very first day that I'm turning that age, the rest of the year is going to be cake, you know? What else could be harder than running 27 miles this year? I don't know. And it's become a tradition. I ran it when I was 23. I ran in Iceland for it. And I had all, I had two really good friends that were working with me in Iceland run parts with me. And that was hard because my family wasn't there and I was gone for Christmas and everything. But... I just remember that one being really interesting because I had 18 miles on ice that I had to have picks on the bottom of my shoe so that I could dig into the ice and not fall. And I ran that, that far to this lighthouse and back and then around Reykjavik. How cold was that? Honestly, I don't remember. It, I don't remember it being all that cold though. I, You know me and, and weather. I can tell you what I wore. I had two long sleeves, a balaclava, is that how you say that? It's the one that goes around the face and then also, yeah, you're not, you're not, I'm a Midwesterner. You're a Florida boy, you wouldn't know. <laughs> I wear board and, shorts. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had two pairs of leggings on and high socks. So, and, and gloves and a hat. So I guess, I mean, it was that so, cold. Now, what's next, do you think? Do you have a what's next? Mm. I, mean, I mean, yeah. I your feature film in yeah. Jerusalem mm -hmm. for Women of the West Bank. Yes, another a short documentary that will be coming out very soon in the next couple months, I think. Mm -hmm. um, another humanitarian, big humanitarian piece. Um, yeah. Like you just profile. Find, you have found that passion for it. You're gonna do as much as that. Do you do you feel that urge to continue making those feature films? You know. Yeah, I think that the story has to really resonate with me because mm -hmm. if it didn't, I wanted to finish it. You know, I mean that yeah. to work on another one, I have a lot of, I learned so much from that first one, first feature that I think it would be easier mm -hmm. now. Not easy, but easier right. um, uh, to be able to work on another one. But I'm really focusing, you know, on this podcast. Yes, yeah. this podcast, but also, you know, local stories yeah. with a global perspective. That's my big thing right now. I think that there, I've spent so 
I spent four years, four and a half years working on stories and working in communities Mm -hmm. in different cultures and countries. And I think there's so many layers and important stories to, to talk about here in the States, um, that I'm really trying to, trying to focus on my own community and and Mm -hmm. culture and, and country. hope that you have a better understanding of who we are after listening to these first two episodes and I really hope that these conversations are going to be a facilitator to have a dialogue with other people that you know, whether that's a former teammate that you want to reach out to and talk about that transition or you want to reach out to us and talk about that transition we'd love to hear from you either on instagram on youtube you can leave comments you can direct message us facebook Fa- we have no facebook <laughs> <laughs> i'm in charge maybe of the pr sh- and social yeah, maybe media maybe you should create a facebook <laughs> for us just so you can say like us on facebook <laughs> yes don't don't bother. Don't bother, <laughs> don't bother looking searching. for us on Facebook. <laughs> if you or a former athlete you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, you can reach us on Instagram or on the Believe Podcast website. And for all my visual learners, you can follow along on YouTube to watch the podcast as well. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.